they arrived on the last day of the season. The final and only guests before the hotel was to shutter up the windows and lock their doors for the cold months ahead. The two were drawn in by the brilliant white facade and striking red roof of this sprawling hotel, and they were more than pleased with the idea of resting here for the night. After a quiet evening in the beautiful and all-but-deserted restaurant, the couple made their way to their room. As they walked the seemingly endless corridors, he could almost feel the halls stretch out before them. The deeply rich patterned carpet leading them down a perpetual labyrinth before finally arriving at their door, marked 217. While his wife still seemed bright-eyed about their stay, he was growing increasingly unsettled by something here, though he couldn't quite point out exactly what it was. The two of them settled into bed, and though the man couldn't quite shake the feeling that someone or something had been watching him, even whispering to him, he drifted off to sleep. The sleep was brief, however, and restless, and just enough time for his weary subconscious to flood with frightening imagery, no doubt inspired by his unexplained discomfort with his surroundings. His mind took him to thoughts of his young son. Was he resting safely? In his dream, he frantically checked the crib and found it empty. The room flooded with light from under the door. He attempted to wake his slumbering wife, but to no avail. He left the room to find the boy. He could hear unsteady footsteps just ahead, but no matter his pace, he couldn't get any closer. Those patterned carpets, those never-ending corridors. Suddenly, he saw it, serpentine, moving slowly toward the boy. The fire hose, from the wall, following him like a predator, stalking behind him, ready to pounce. The man tried to reach him, but to no avail. The hose twisted, wrapped, and coiled around his son like a boa constrictor and began to squeeze. He jolted from sleep. Sweating and anxious, he looked around the room. The walls still seemed to look back at him. He was awake now and had to get up. He paced the silent halls and lit a cigarette. By the time the cigarette was through, and inspired by his experience within these walls, he knew just what he had to write. The date was September 30th, 1974. The man, Stephen King. This is Fright Life, a paranormal podcast, and on this episode, we will discuss The Stanley Hotel. Though the eeriness of the Stanley inspired one of the most famous writers of our time to write one of the most famously chilling books, this hotel was haunted long before King's 1974 arrival. Located in Estes Park, Colorado, 
this beautiful 140-room hotel was designed in the colonial revival style and opened in 1909. Originally, this lush landscape of trees, wildlife, and fresh mountain air was inhabited by indigenous tribes such as the Ute and Arapaho people. In 1874, after the area had been overtaken by European settlers, Irish aristocrat known as Lord Dunraven made an illegal land grab of nearly 8,000 acres in what is now the area known as Rocky Mountain State Park. After being drawn in by its sporting opportunities, he later wrote, The air is scented with the sweet-smelling sap of the pines, whose branches welcome many feathered visitors from southern climes. An occasional hummingbird whirs among the shrubs, trout leap in the creeks, insects buzz in the air. All nature is active and exuberant with life. The climate is health-giving, unsurpassed, as I believe, anywhere. None can appreciate it except those who have had good fortune to experience it themselves. This Lord Dunraven quote seems almost prophetic when you follow the timeline. Later on, the land is purchased by Freeland Oscar Stanley, known as F.O. Stanley, the inventor of dry plate photography, later sold to Kodak, and even more famously, he's known for having invented the Stanley steam engine. What led to the building of this now nationally recognized historic hotel began in 1903, when F.O. Stanley was near death. Suffering from severe tuberculosis, his future was bleak. In those times, sunlight and fresh air were the only real treatment for TB. Stanley and his wife ventured out to Estes Park to experience the rejuvenating effects of the mountain air and this thriving landscape. F.O. Stanley did indeed make a full recovery from near death and decided to build a hotel in the area which saved his life. Located just five miles from the entrance of Rocky Mountain State Park, these sprawling grounds boast 11 buildings, including a lodge, concert hall, carriage house, and the main hotel. F.O. Stanley designed this place to converge peacefully with its natural surroundings while boasting every modern amenity, including running water and electricity. This stark white building, a beacon to aristocratic travelers of the time. Many visitors check out with chilling ghost stories of their own. Some guests never check out at all. Welcome to Fright Life. We're your hosts, Joss and Monique. Hello. And on this episode, we are discussing the Stanley Hotel. Yes, and today is actually the anniversary of Stephen King's stay at this historic site, which prompted him to write The Shining. This dream that he has while he's there, do you think that this dream was influenced by paranormal happenings around him? Or is it just because Stephen King is like sort of a madman who has this amazing imagination and just... Well, the story goes that he was creeped out by this place. Yeah. Like, his wife loved it. He was just creeped out. He went to sleep unsettled, and I'm sure that triggered bad dreams. So I think it's directly influenced by the space. 
Yeah, definitely picking up on some creepo vibes. I also think it's really funny that his wife was like, oh, look at this beautiful wallpaper and all of these beautiful paintings. And the whole time he's just like, this is not for me. I don't, I don't care for any of this. You know what's kind of interesting is yesterday we walked into our, like the lobby, the corridor to get into our apartment. Mm -hmm. And we have a decorative skeleton there. And when we left, there was just the decorative skeleton. When we returned, there was a flower in the skeleton's mouth. And I shared it on our Instagram, or my Instagram, that you were like, oh, cute, a flower. And I was like, this is a death threat. (laughs) So just like what you just said, the wife was like, what a beautiful place. And he is like, I see blood dripping down the walls and the creepiest carpet you can imagine and never-ending corridors and the fire hose is even a predatory figure. Yeah. So that is interesting, like how minds think differently. Yeah, for sure. And was he slowly just inventing these things as he walked around because his perspective as a horror writer. Yeah. But it's just his... notably he says he was creeped out by it. Yeah. And though the hotel definitely now in modern times plays up its connection to The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot of Shining memorabilia. They say that they replace the nameplate, like the number plate to the door, 217, like weekly because people steal it. Oh. They uh, have their own local TV channel, which is just 24 hours yes. The Shining. I love that. Playing the, the movie. Um, they play it up for sure. But this hotel was notably haunted long before Stephen King's arrival, and the ghosts are tied to many other things aside from the book or the film. Yeah, I think that's an excellent segue that we can kind of talk about some of the ghosts and hauntings that people have experienced while they're staying there. Yeah, so two of the most notable ghosts are... F.O. Stanley himself, who is seen around the lobby, the bar, and the billiards room. What's interesting about a lot of the ghosts in the Stanley is that they are full-bodied apparitions. That's amazing. And there are a lot of accounts where guests and people on the ghost tours have taken pictures and gotten excellent photographic evidence. Yes. So we'll talk about that a little more later. Um, also, F.O.'s wife, Flora, and these two loved the place. Mm-hmm. Like, this area literally saved his life. They were obsessed, and they built this hotel as, like, an homage to that. So, it makes sense that their spirits would remain in some way. Yeah, this is their safe haven. Right. So, Flora is seen in the hotel, also seen, full-bodied apparition, um, near the concert hall in the concert hall dancing around and also people hear the playing of the piano in the concert hall the plucking of keys you know what i love about this is that each of their ghosts are seen specifically in areas where that would be like their favorite place yeah like stanley's just in the billiards room Mm -hmm. because he's sort of like a you know suave manly man you know Mm -hmm. and then his wife is like, oh, I like dancing and music, so I'm going to hang out there. Oh and I just... Gosh. I'm sure that's how she sounds exactly. 
I, I did a lot of research for that okay. voice impersonation. He's I, a manly man, and she's like, oh my god, music is great. Oh, that was really... I nailed it. 100%. Terrible, terrible of you. That's what she sounds like. Okay. Yes, she is sophisticated and loves music. <laughs> and probably contained multitudes, and she's seen playing the piano, which is so creepy, just like... Ding, ding, ding. Like little keys playing. No, I don't. Themselves. I don't like that at all. Anything with like creepy music. No, that's my favorite. That's what one of the only things that gets me creeped out. So I love that. Yeah, it's like a it's like a love, love, and also no thank you. Yeah, one night, and I don't know. There's a phenomenon that happens with white noise. I'm not talking in EVPs. Um, white noise and sound, like the sound of a fan, mm-hmm. where your ear can make music and voices and things out of that noise, which is why it's controversial to even like obtain messages through those. Um, But there's also the theory that entities can use surrounding noises to manifest their voices or messages. And one night we were laying in bed and I don't know if it was the fan, like the way it was kind of rumbling on the windowsill But I really, I swear, I heard, like, somewhere within our walls, like, clinking music box music. Yeah. Remember I woke you up? And you couldn't hear it, though. But you are a musician. Yeah, I have terrible hearing. And you do not wear your, you don't wear earplugs. And you were in some pretty intense, just everyone blast up their amps in this tiny garage and play as loud as you can type of bands. So I have little faith in your hearing also side note i wear earplugs while i practice now oh good so after the damage has should been be done fine okay <laughs> so you won't get any worse but right. you definitely can't hear very well um certain tones and things especially so and i have excellent hearing like superhuman hearing yeah it's obnoxious so i did hear it and you didn't but i don't know how much faith i have in that that it was it didn't exist um, based on that information. Anyway, it was the creepiest little, like, I could imagine, like, a little crank with the, like, music box. It, it gives me chills, man. It was so I think, creepy. I love the debate of, is it paranormal or is it just matrixing? But Yeah, like, was uh, my brain inventing that based on what I was hearing? I don't, it, this was too intricate, I think. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying is when you have the ability to pick up on these tones through like white noise or like a tape machine or something that's using the, the tape hiss. And that's where you get, uh, EVPs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, the scientific community that wants to just say, no, that can't be a thing. And then the paranormal community is like, absolutely, this is real. But I just, it's one of those kind of like programming of ghosts aren't real and monsters aren't real. And Well, I think it is possible for our brains to do those things. So that's why supporting evidence and additional evidence is great. Like Mm -hmm. if the message has context. In this case, with the music I was hearing, I love to think of myself as a genius, but I am not Beethoven or Mozart. Mm -hmm. So I would not, why would my brain suddenly be able to compose this intricate classical music box music now could it have been wafting in from somewhere from afar that's more likely than my brain composing this right i think by itself but it sounded like in our wall yeah no 
I don't, music coming from our walls is terrifying. <laughs> and yeah, so there's that little thing. So yes, Flora Stanley is heard clinking away at the piano and seen kind of dancing about the ballroom floor. Um, creepy. Super Disembodied classical music. Um, also, something happened at this hotel in 1911. And we're not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> no, I'm going to get into it right now. Okay. So a flood in the area knocked out the power to the hotel. And as I had mentioned before, F.O. Stanley was set on making this the most modern hotel of its time. Mm -hmm. It had running water. It had electricity. And that was rare in this time that the hotel was built. Especially in a remote location, too. Right. They're up in the Rocky Mountains. It's all nature. Exactly. Um, but with electricity, sometimes comes power outages. Sure. So he had installed gas lamps as like a backup okay. system. And just when the gas lines were filled, one of the housekeepers, Elizabeth Wilson, went around lighting the lamps with a candle. And when she entered room 217 with the open flame, it triggered an immediate explosion. Oof. It blew Elizabeth Wilson through the floor of the second story to the first and destroyed 10% of the, of the hotel. It even blasted pieces of the building a half a mile away from the grounds. Sheesh. And though Miss Wilson survived after suffering several broken bones and she was in a brief coma, she went back to work at the hotel. And some say this catastrophic event forged her connection with this space. So after her full recovery, she worked there until her death in the 1950s. And she is now reported to haunt the hotel. Wow. Notably on the second floor where she had been lighting the gas lamps when she kind of was blasted through the floor. It didn't kill her, but That's it was a very significant trauma. trauma. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. And, and she stayed there and worked there every single day of her life until she died. Did she die in the hotel? Ooh, I don't know. While, like, while at work? Yeah. Or just, like, maybe... I'm not sure, know. actually. And I'm sure some staff stayed on to care for the hotel. Mm -hmm. Because up until 1983, they closed for the off-season. Yeah. And so, I don't know who, like, stayed on. Oh, that's a good question. Maybe we'll add that in the notes. Okay. Or add it to our Instagram. I'll find that out right away. Yeah, we'll do some follow-up posts on this. Yeah. I have a couple pictures I want to share, too, so. Yes. But she is known to haunt the space, and her haunts look like tidying up, moving things from one place to another, making the bed, and some say unpacking their items and putting them in the drawers. Whoa. That's extreme, for sure. Yeah. I remember while, after finishing our research, we sort of sat down and celebrated and kind of got in the mood by... Like, I was watching clips from The Shining, and we watched, um, we found, actually, just yesterday, that two shows, Ghost Adventures and Ghost Hunters, mm -hmm. like, long ago visited the Stanley. We didn't even know that they had been there. These right. were episodes we had missed or not known the significance of. And so we watched them, and it's actually hilarious to see the two differences between the reactions of the crew mm -hmm. on each show. 
when being told that this ghost unpacks and puts away clothes. Where it's like ghost adventures, like Zach is like, whoa. And also, this is probably demonic. Yeah. <laughs> and the ghost hunters crew is like, hmm, that seems pretty suspect. <laughs> um, just because you, they know that most evidence is like, this thing is slightly moved from here to here. Yeah. Like they, they believe in ghosts, obviously, right. on that show, on ghost hunters, but they aren't as a little more skeptical reactionary and they want to be able to you know prove these things yeah. and that does seem extreme if hauntings were that extreme every day and ghosts were able to do that like we would not have to be digging this deep right. to find evidence of yeah. it and um, just to be clear we love both of those shows just like, for entertainment just value for entertainment. yeah and to to get us in the mood and also to find locations that we maybe yeah wouldn't know about otherwise right. you know we're just like cold googling yeah haunted <laughs> But, you know, sometimes if we Haunted just question mark? <laughs> drink coffee and kind of watch these, then... That's yeah, a fun sun, it's like, oh, Sunday we, morning. We should look into this place. Anyway, it's just funny to watch the two different yeah, reactions that. to that specific claim of the space. So let's get into some of the other hauntings. So amongst some of the people who are reporting these hauntings are actually some pretty famous people. My favorite comes from... Jim Carrey, who's one of my favorite actors of all time, uh, during the filming of Dumb and Dumber, he stayed in room 217, which is uh, the same one that Stephen King stayed in. It's notoriously haunted. Um, and he was in there for a grand total of about three hours before going back down to the lobby and being like, I need a different room. The interesting thing is, he will not comment on what happened in the room. Yeah. That is really cool because it's not like he just bought into it and wanted to sensationalize yeah. some ghost story or perpetuate what he heard. He said, which he's generally authentic anyway, but yes. he didn't want to talk about it. I actually saw a little clip of an interview with Jim Carrey from, I think it's like 20, 2020 or 2019. Um where just kind of off the, the cuff, the interviewer asks him, okay, so what did you, what happened that night that you stayed there? And he's like, I, I don't want to talk about that, man. Like, very stoic and seriously, he's just like... Interesting. Doesn't want to talk about it. So Okay. Well, that's weird because, I mean, I guess not weird. It depends on who you are. But she's notably like just a helpful ghost mm -hmm. <laughs> like she's just still doing her job yeah. um, so I wonder what he experienced uh, one other major collection of accounts is about the entire fourth floor historically this was a space where the nannies and the children would stay when families would come and spend some time at the Stanley oh so this is like like a family husband wife kids they would also bring their staff with them yes okay that was i was just trying to yeah that happened a lot in the 1900s and before that and some wealthy people do that now where the parents will stay in one room and the nanny will take care of the kids in another space because okay. they're on vacation yeah you know that makes sense um so yeah that would be nice right <laughs> but no um i was just trying to wrap my head around the dynamics of that like yeah so the fourth floor you know how in a restaurant if you walk in with kids you're 
and they look at you and they're like, you go to this side of the restaurant. That's sort of like how they would do this here, where it's like the fourth floor is where the kids are cared for. Okay. So the hauntings reported from the fourth floor are from guests who complain about the noise of the kids when there aren't actually any kids staying there at that time. They hear running up and giggling up and down the hallways, even in the middle of the night, which even if there were kids in the building, parents probably aren't like, sure, have at it. Right. You know, run around giggling through the night. Yeah. Like, they're probably asleep, even if there are children guests at the time. Um, But there have been accounts where they're like, there are no kids staying on the floor. No one, you know, there aren't any children checked in with families right now. Um, specifically, there aren't any children in the room next to you, like if they're hearing noises yeah. from that. Imagine being the person calling reception and asking for a different room and having the the person at the front desk being like, Those um, children have been dead <laughs> for 50 years. <laughs> or something like that. Or something like that. They probably like, don't say that, but... Ma'am, there are no children Those staying are the in this ghosts. hotel. Except for the ghost children, <laughs> please go back to sleep. We're full capacity. Everything is fine. We can't move you. Go to sleep. Go, go back to sleep. <laughs> no, but that that would be terrifying. I remember once watching Unsolved Mysteries as a child. And I think they were on the Queen Mary. And one of the accounts, and I remember they did this like in a CGI'd whatever movie magic kind of way was kids giggling and splashing in the pool and then they saw like disembodied wet footprints run across oh yes and i was terrified and delighted at this idea so just like the creepy music kids giggling oh my god yeah that's chilling in uh my favorite horror film of all time the blair witch project when they're in the tent and there's all the handprints and then you can hear the kids giggling that that's why that's my favorite one. That part, like, terrifies me. That's one of the only ones that actually scares me, too. Yeah. Like, as a film. But I love it. Like, it's so good. I'm never too scared to watch a movie. I love being creeped out. But, yeah. Or all the kids' handprints on the walls. Yeah. The little witch cabin. Yep. Creepy and amazing. So, yes, they hear the pitter-patter of children's feet running around giggling, having a great time. So in room 412, a woman reports that her bed is levitating off the ground. And this obviously terrifies this woman. So she calls the front desk and they send people up to talk to her and try and calm her down. And she's like out of her mind terrified to the point where they have to call the police in who take this woman away And they test her for drugs and alcohol, and her system is totally clean. Yeah, she was actually, this was in modern times, she was attending one of their shining balls, I think, that they have there, like some event. Okay. And so they were like, okay, she's kind of wrapped up in stuff, she maybe has been drinking. They take her to the hospital. She is in full hysterics. And yeah, she is not, she has no alcohol in her system, no drugs in her system. She experienced something in that room that absolutely terrified her. In room 428, people see a shadowy apparition in the middle of the night uh, with a cowboy hat on. So he is known as the cowboy 
and he actually has walked up and kissed women. Whoa. And then just walked away and kind of faded off. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So is he a shadow person or just like a dark... I don't know. Dark... It's just like a dark shadowy apparition. Well, I asked because... Well, and it's in the night. So. A lot of people that report shadow people, there's like the man in oh, with like a the hat. hat. So, and frequently not. seen sort of like arched over people like while they're sleeping. Creepy. Maybe. I hadn't thought about that. Little connection there. They call him the cowboy. I don't know. He interacts and then he walks away. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. He is noted to be a little more shadowy. Creepy. For sure. There are also a lot of people who are just like in closets. There's a room where it's said that Lord Dunraven kind of just stands off in the corner, like staring at you. Um, which is weird. Yeah. And also one of the like inspectors for historical hotels. Mm-hmm. Um, so he doesn't really delve into the paranormal. He's just on like, he's checking that these historic sites are maintained. And, Up to code. Yeah, whatever. And he opened a closet during an inspection and immediately shut it and ran out, freaking out and would not go back because he said he just saw a man standing in the closet. Well, I mean, I get it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that that would be the end of that inspection. Yeah. He just, just like, opens no, it you pass, like, I'm out. Nope. <laughs> No, writes on his little transfer pad, <laughs> ghost in closet. This is the checkbox for ghosts. Definitely historic. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ghost is like the bottom checkbox for historic properties. Yes, as it should be. And I hope that it is. I really hope that it is. If it's not, <laughs> we're definitely making like a official Fright Life inspection pad that's like room, room inspection. Disembodied voices? Oh my God. This is a great idea. <laughs> okay. I really like this. We'll run with it okay. later. Okay, so we've talked about the main building. Mm-hmm. We want to now get into the carriage house, which of course started as a carriage house. For those of you who don't know, historically that is where it's a garage, it's where a garage. you would keep your carriages upon arrival. That's outdated for a number of reasons. Um, but I don't know why it's now been kind of degraded into this storage space but that's what it is it's like a barn garage storage unit so it's already like this once nice i guess i'm assuming it was nice because even carriage houses in the time were like opulent yeah um is now an open warehouse type of room but the creepiest part about this is it's noted to be haunted with a darker Mm -hmm. entity And what they keep in this storage room, besides old fixtures, and I cannot grasp why they do this. I don't know. And I thought it was legend. Right. And then I saw evidence of it. Yeah. And I'm just like, why? So anyway, let me tell you what I'm dumbfounded by. And it is this practice of storing old mattresses in this place. They're all just lined up along the wall. And they're called the death mattresses. God damn it. And that is because they are literally the mattresses of any of the guests who have died in bed at the hotel, including suicide victims. Okay. And one rumored stabbing victim. Right. I don't know why a hotel historic with probably the means to dispose of these things hold on to them. 
but it has somehow created this area and kind of dragged it down to this dark space. I mean, created this atmosphere of darkness and people and groundskeepers who have to go in there refuse to go after dark and alone. Right. They refuse to go alone. They refuse to go after dark. Something dark is said to be in there. So here's the thing. If you're keeping deathbeds Mm -hmm. in a pile in a barn, you're just like, at that point, you're you're setting yourself up to be haunted. Yeah, for sure. Like, Uh, why? That... That's bizarre to me. That is very strange, sort of on the level of collecting creepy haunted dolls. Kind of like you're doing it with the purpose of hopefully containing some kind of energy there. Yeah. There's I, no there's no other reason why they would do that other than they know that their hotel is kind of creepy and they're trying to pull in extra yeah, so and Energies. they uh, evidently succeeded in that because someone has been pushed in there, held down. They hear like gruff voices. Yeah. Um it runs the gamut of like everything you would hope to find on a paranormal investigation. That's dark. It's dark. Creepy. And, yeah. Side note, you mentioned haunted dolls. I did buy a doll from an antique store the other day, the other weekend, and um sadly I don't believe it's haunted. <laughs> I don't like it. I love it. It's creepy. I needed it immediately. This is another, this is one of those things where it's like, oh, this is cute. No. Like, it's like, oh, cute flowers in the skull. No, that's a death threat. This is a. No, I'll know. I'll know if it's bad. Doll. I know that's a. Some stalker left that flower in that skeleton. (laughs) It's weird. Or it's our neighbors, our new neighbors just being cute. Okay, no, that's a good, that's cute. Um, But this doll. Is cute. I'm going to add this to the list of things I'm going to post as a follow-up to this uh, episode. I mean, the case was full of dolls similar to this one. And this one just called to you? Yeah, I didn't even have to think, like, do I want this one or this one? I was like, I need her. There's something about the eyes. we have a nice connection. She's real. She's a real person, but she's not haunted. Okay. I can't figure it out. (laughs) Okay, anyway. Um, That's, that was a you, tangent. What you're explaining right now, <laughs> she she's a doll, but she's a, she's re, that's that she's haunted. That's what you're explaining right now. She talks to me sometimes, and, <laughs> but she's not haunted. Um, no. <laughs> so anyway, um, I just needed her. She's cool. She is very cool. So that was a a side note, but yeah, collecting strange things, you're kind of just asking for yeah. it. There's also an area of the hotel that's said to be a vortex of energy, and they do have that mirror within... What is that called? I can never remember the name. That's a... Where it's like the mirror is catching the reflection of the other mirror, and it creates an infinite line of mirrors. You're creating a portal. Right. I know, but it's called something. And... I can never remember the name of it. We actually were recently in Denver. We didn't go to the Rocky Mountain area. We were just at a stopover Mm -hmm. um, on our way somewhere else. And next time we'll go. I want to see the Stanley for sure. And our friend is like, you know, conspiracy theorist McGillicuddy. And he's like, you know, the Denver, he did all of the like crazy, like the Denver airport is this sinister place with underground tunnels and reptilians and all this. And I was like, you are full of it. <clears throat> and then I'm like, but I need to go to the restroom. And I walk into the 
women's restroom at the Denver airport and it has that mirror. Yeah, the men's room does too. Why? Right? They they didn't do their research. (laughs) Or they did and they know exactly what they're doing (laughs) because reportedly that place is a dark, sinister, Illuminati, crazy vortex of energy and symbolism. So anyway, um, that was just interesting. Yeah. Okay. And it's in Colorado. A couple hours from yeah, not too far. Stanley. So a couple of just interesting little tidbits about the Stanley Hotel, and more specifically where it's built. Yeah, the geological makeup yeah. of the area. So um, they've done some digging, quote unquote, uh, and discovered that the Stanley Hotel is actually built on a really concentrated deposit of quartz and granite, um, which is important to note because of something called the stone tape theory, which is the idea that certain elements such as quartz um, record energies and specifically uh, traumatic events or um, important like high energy events. Right. Um, those can be recorded in the stone itself. Yeah. So the actual back. bedrock of this area is like a tape recorder. Yeah. It's like the actual tape. Exactly. On like a cassette. Yep. So some of these hauntings may not be intelligent, but more of like a time loop right. playing out. Like which a is, stamp. Yeah. And that's why you always see, uh, you know, Stanley in the same spots over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, which is... Or some, the men in the closets. Like maybe yes. that wasn't a closet when that right. man was standing there. Exactly. And it's, or he was dressing and I don't know something weird but yeah it's little a, glimpses of Flora dancing across the ballroom yeah because she had done that so often yep. it's recorded in and it so it doesn't have to be necessarily a negative um memory or event it could just be something where at that moment she felt so incredibly just like content. pure and joyous yeah. and content that that emotion was captured in that event so that's why you see her. This is tone, uh, stone tape theory is really, really cool. And that's something that I think we should dive into deeper. I do have an episode about a certain place that also conducts the energy or records the energy in this way, the theory of the area anyway. And we will get into that. Awesome. Um, it's with uh, Gettysburg. Oh, yes. Okay. So, awesome. That's going to be good. Yeah. So that is in the works already. Um, But speaking of recording and Mm -hmm. immortalizing, um, this area inspired Stephen King to write The Shining, and Stephen King's The Shining inspired the Kubrick film The Shining. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to talk about the movie a little bit, since it is spooky season. Yeah. So this is sort of a segue into maybe a little bit of a longer for a fright. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so the film, actually Stephen King didn't like the movie. He does not like no. it. No. And he will say that. I mean, he's been on, yeah, on yeah. record. Just be like, mm, I don't like it. He said he loves everything else that Kubrick has done, but he did not like the shining. Um, he specifically stated that the book is warm and the film is cold. Yeah. So that, those are just his thoughts on it. Um, and a lot of people who have studied the film believe that Kubrick did use it as a platform to symbolize a few things for his own 
artistry, his own agenda, his yeah. own storytelling. So it wasn't a pure adaptation of the book, we will say. I haven't read the book, have you? Parts of it, but I need to go back and and read it. Yeah, so... I'll do that when we're done, and then we'll watch the movie. Yeah, perfect. Um, that's a good spooky season activity. Yeah. Um, anyway, some say that Kubrick used his film as a platform to include symbolism about mass genocides such as the Holocaust, and that this is symbolized with the use of the number 42 throughout the film. Oh, interesting. Um, so if you watch it, you can try to identify those times that the number 42, which is the year 1942 when they started, um, the practices that led into the Holocaust, um, like experimenting on the Jews and all of those disgusting acts. Um, Others say that the native imagery throughout the film was to symbolize the genocide of the indigenous people of the area. Um, So they have... There's even a certain time where the main character is like throwing a ball against like the statue or something mm-hmm. of a Native American chief. Yeah. And that on the canned food in the pantry, there's like the stamp of the, of like a imagery of a Native American chief. Um, also, and also the opening of the elevators with the giant tidal wave of blood would, I guess, symbolize either or both yeah. or a culmination of these atrocities um so that's something that's noted in studying this film and others who have studied it claim something else that we will discuss more of in a future episode yeah. that i have mostly researched and written i love this um that we were supposed to put out during the summer but did not um but we will soon and that is the claim that Kubrick actually used this film as a confession Mm -hmm. or a symbolic brag or a tongue-in-cheek nod to the his involvement his alleged alleged involvement yeah in the faking of the Apollo mission yeah so the faking of the moon landing it's it's if you're not familiar with this theory I I love this theory um not necessarily that I believe it but just because it's pretty cool um the theory is that the moon landing was faked and the footage that we have was actually filmed in a hollywood like, hollywood studio, studio yeah. by stanley. stanley kubrick yeah um and there's some really interesting theories about you all know, you can see the wires of the astronauts bouncing up and down and yeah yeah, yeah. we'll talk about that uh, more so, so we, good. we have so an good. episode about this in the works mostly finished um and so when i came across this little piece because this I conceptualized way later. Um, I've been working on the Apollo one for a long time, but it's like near and dear to my yeah. heart. So this one, it's hard to finalize it. Um, but I was really excited to see this little piece. And uh, people have noted that this comes out through symbolism as well and mm-hmm. little visuals like um, the boy wearing the sweater with Apollo 11 yeah. on it. And it's very predominant when it comes into the shot. Yeah. And they focus on that. So it's kind of cool. And there's a, a thing about the, the pattern in the carpet symbolizing what the launch pad looked like. Yeah, the geometry on the carpet. Yeah. So there's a few things. And um, someone who studied the film and actually I think is like a professor on on this topic or, you know, covers this topic in his college class mm-hmm. is that they, that Kubrick 
tried to hide it from his wife that he was in on this faking of the moon landing. And she eventually finds out. And that the kind of tension between the two characters actually symbolizes what was going on in his home when that happened. Um, So, kind of cool. Yeah. Um, And just fun theories. Uh, In their own right. Yeah. Aside from the actual Stanley Hotel and its amazing ghost stories. I love when there's, there's little side things to to dig into and i mean we're not going to explore them in depth here right now but definitely encourage you to do a little googling and and find these little tidbits for yourself because yeah, it's then, it's pretty awesome to go through and, and connect watch these dots. it with new fresh eyes yeah so, also to note we are oregonians and a lot of the external shots of the shining yes are not the stanley hotel at all which is the overlook hotel in the shining um but timberline lodge Somewhere just about that we frequent and yeah. is about 40 minutes from our house. It's a really cool spot. Um, so, for a fright, watch The Shining, the uh, Stanley Kubrick version. Um, I haven't read the book, but I've seen the movie, of course, uh, and it's creepy. I love The Shining, it's so good. But one of Stephen King's primary complaints is that the main character starts off abusive and kind of a jerk. Um, And in the book, it's the hotel that causes him to descend into this sort of alternate personality. Um, Kind of like what was happening to him. He was getting increasingly paranoid when he was there. Yes. Even though it was this beautiful place that he came upon. And then the creepy factor kind of drew him in to to that yeah right so it didn't really capture the essence of what the stanley hotel is exactly or what he found it to be when he arrived and stayed there so due to stephen king's kind of unhappiness with the movie he wrote a miniseries oh that is by stephen mm-hmm. king he wrote okay, the actual screenplay so uh that came out in 1997 and um i remember watching it with my dad and it being very, very creepy mm-hmm. um, and really well done. And because it's a mini series, there's so much more time to develop this descent into madness. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it does not um, get very good ratings. Um, <laughs> well, so, we'll watch it. We'll see. Yeah. It um, might be just interesting to see his take on it. Yeah, for sure. Side to side with the movie. But we also love a lot of stuff that comes from the 90s that's maybe not like super great production value like that stuff has kind of its own niche so fantastic well i loved researching the stanley hotel i can't wait to get there one day if you have been there send us a message drop us a comment we would love to hear from you um there is excellent evidence photographic evidence um that guests have captured and and shared so we will share some of that around as well yes um, and of course, if you need to get a hold of us, you can reach us at Fright Life Paranormal on social medias. Um, you can also get a hold of us via email, frightlifeparanormal at gmail.com. And we have a really great website, which is frightlifeparanormal.com, where you can listen to our podcast, grab some merch. You can get a hold of us if you want to from there. So we hope you've had a frightful time with us here at Fright Life, a paranormal podcast. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. We'll see you next time.